0: Hey, Ronnie, don't you know Wall Jam, the thousand brawling drunken youths? <laughs> I'm just going to start recording because I'm getting podcast gold. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. We got a brand new edition for the Nest Pod that's never been done before. For our three listeners out there. Mm-hmm, girl. We have in studio for Dean Desmoni, DJ Des Part 2 is
1: in Desert Star Studios. Yeah. What's your Beautiful. impression
0: of this setup?
1: Beautiful lighting. We got a little mood action going on. A little Michelob Ultra. Uh, some smart water. And the Roadcaster, And a cactus. <laughs> reminiscent of a uh, taco time, which I'm digging. Mm, mm, mm. How about if we put a little uh, hot sauce under the cushion?
2: What are you people? On dope?
1: Down on Pacific Avenue here.
0: So hopefully I'll get some pictures up for the socials, because you know me, I'm not really that big on the social nice. media thing. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, 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 yes.
2: Mm, sprinkle some lemon on that chocolate. Yes.
0: Leaving off from part one, you want to just jump right back into some music? Get it on. Ah! Take it. The- kick it off with some C and C Music Factory because that was a song that you requested when we touched base on the notes. What you got to say?
1: Uh, You know that to me it's one of those songs that is kind of a a bellwether song as far as dance late 80s early 90s and uh, I just remember that when that song came out it was produced by two guys that were really kind of hot who got together and started uh, their own little musical thing and uh, when it came out in the clubs I remember that uh, it just immediately took over it was an immediate hit it was an immediate sensation and it had a little bit different sound and the production on it was a little bit different and so sonically when you drop that in a club or on a dance floor people just immediately took off with it which was awesome and then of course all of the extracurricular sampling and all that stuff that was piled on top of it but CNC you know they came they they had something going and they came with it and it, and it just hit like wildfire yeah the uh,
0: uh, uh,
3: uh.
1: yeah and it and it's it's and the and the uh, the rap, yeah, Freedom Williams. Freedom Williams dropping the rap with a low. You know he's he's down here. You know, dope rhyme. You know, just a real low key kind of thing. And he's almost it's almost an undertone to the rest of the song, which is cool because you got the song that's up here, and it's doing that and it's riding up here. And then he comes in. Here is the dome. Yeah, he comes in low. And so it just creates a whole balance sonically, high and low. And it just took over the dance floor.
0: And those people familiar with CNC in that era of Milli Vanilli is there with some controversy with the singer Martha Wash, who when I did my research on it, she actually did the studio demo of it. And they were going to get it to another singer, but they liked it so well because obviously she's known for, what is it? It's raining, Men, it's Oh yeah, hip, world world class vocalist. Back and in the then disco days, Zelma Davis joined the band, and you know I love some me some Zelma. But yeah, so there was that episode, and Millie Vanilli get caught for lip syncing, and Black Box was doing it. Oh, it yeah. was just that time period. So there was a lawsuit with that. I also had mentioned earlier to you that Freedom Williams. I think he. um registered the name CNC and has been performing under it since 2005 and
1: which is kind of weird
0: and unfortunately the keyboard player David Cole passed away in 96 and I think that there was some ties with him with some studio work to Bruce Forrest so segueing we uh, we started with CNC because we're going to do a little bit about the club music but then we're going to get back to wall jam productions but I wanted to talk a little bit about Madonna and what was going on with Studio 54, and taking, you know, doing the research on that, I'm a big fan of Jelly Bean Benitas. And he produced that album. So before I play a little snippet of what the previewing thing that we discussed in part one is the Madonna self-titled album released in '83 was five times platinum in the United States, three times platinum in Australia, one time platinum in France and sold over 10 million worldwide. Yeah, we're cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're cool. Yeah. So, we are cool, actually. We're extremely, well, not <laughs> as cool as we used to be, but you know.
0: 10 million copies sold worldwide. Right. And I wanted to get to this because when we talked about Studio 54, and I didn't know this, but Jelly Bean played at Studio 54 for a while. So it was uh, 1976 through 80, so. That was before we got there. Yeah. But he had some time at Studio 54. And you had mentioned in part one that he uh we had also been to Palladium. He he had a residency at Palladium for a while. And then when he Like what when we were there? No. Uh well period? uh let's see. He He played. might have been
1: playing when we were there for a while. It's possible
0: we because he played at the Palladium in nineteen eighty five, which was a which was another uh, connection with Steve Rubin and Ian Schrager. And those were the people that owned Studio 54. Sweet. Now, when Madonna and him released the song Crazy For You, is that, that and that's kind of close to my heart because of the movie Vision Quest, and there's a cameo in the movie where she's in the bar singing, and mm-hmm. Loudon Swain, the character that's in there, meets Carla in there. Uh, they thought that that song was so successful and so commercially viable that they actually let Jellybean go from Palladium because they thought he was becoming too commercial and not a cutting, a cutting edge disc jockey. Now, if you, last episode, when we talked about the, the documentary on Netflix, is you should go back and check that out because that's exactly a Steve Rubin move that he would do because he was all about the cutting edge of the club scene. Which so, is cool. And yep. and so that, that's Jelly Bean in a nutshell, just a little bit of facts. Uh, and they also had a little romance thing going on. I don't know if people knew that, but that was Madonna, the early years. Mm-hmm. But it just goes to show you the CNC Music Factory, the connection to the club music, the Jelly Bean connection, the Mike Joyce connection, the Bruce Forrest connection. So let's, with that being said, let's get into this Madonna cut and some little previewing going on.
1: Speaking of songs that broke out huge...
4: Something at the... I think.
1: Happen at that Square Califon bar. <laughs> Not at all.
0: Okay, that was a pretty extreme example of a preview, but since we talked about that in episode one, I wanted to kind of just piggyback on that. And so, obviously, that was borderline coming into Holiday, and then I threw a couple bars of Company B. That we talked about. It's too bad I didn't sample that down to eight or pitch it down to eight on the Techniques 1200s. <laughs> <laughs> minus
1: <laughs> just a, eight. Just a shout out there. Got to uh, take everything down to minus eight from now on.
0: <laughs> so a couple things about that is, um, if, you'd, if you notice, I kind of cold cut into everybody. Yeah. Because we had talked a lot about a nonstop dance crew that we were doing in the clubs, and which, you know, as DJs, we aspire to do. The one thing that you mentioned in episode one of the DJ Des Podcast is that it's also about making money. So oh, it's, yeah. it's not it doesn't hurt a DJ to clear the floor every once in a while. And sometimes it's done intentionally. So when you talk about selling drinks, sometimes the best thing is to get people off the dance floor to have them take a break and buy drinks. Yeah. So you don't have to be on point at all times, even though sometimes you might play a 30 or 40 minute set and then you're going to break it up with some slow songs. The other thing I, I wanted to mention about everybody coming in there by Madonna is that going back to the Jellybean thing, that's where he actually met Madonna, is that he was playing in one of the New York City clubs, and a Warner Brother executive came in because he was playing the one single that she had released, which is Everybody, and Jellybean was playing it. That's where he got the introduction, and then after that it was musical history.
1: Yeah. I don't think there is a Madonna without, without Jelly Bean. Her early songs were really made hits by the producers. The people that were producing her music really made something more out of her, at least vocally, because she's not a great singer. She's good enough to carry the the tune, and she's a great performer. And so there's a whole package. And I remember reading something back at the time, too, that – uh, and I can't remember the guy's name, the, the guy who actually uh, discovered her, he, they, he went and saw her in a club, and she was doing something, and he wasn't really impressed with her, but he was talked into it because, wait a second, got to see the whole package here. She's a whole package deal. She's an entertainer. It's not just about what she sounds like when she's singing. You got to see her dance. You got to see her move. You got to see her look and everything when she's on stage because that's where she really comes through as an artist. So, yeah.
0: All right. I I mean, career catapult. Yeah. Yeah, that whole New York vibe and then Jelly Bean. And, man, it's over the top. I mean, I don't know about the songwriting, but, man, you got to – you know, whatever the combination was going on there, it produced gold. Yeah. And in in her – instant platinum
1: and once she got big too i think i think mtv had a lot to do with that you know uh because we all remember seeing madonna on, on mtv and just going oh shit that chick's pretty hot she's <laughs> rolling around and all that kind of crap and she came with the new kind of fashion and all those chicks were you know that early 80s uh you know with oh, the yeah, they- roughly <laughs> the roughly skirt and the, the, earrings. the bangles and all yep. that stuff
0: and the yeah. cut up t-shirts yeah. and tank yeah. tops and yeah. the hair
1: full package
0: papa don't preach daddy papa don't <laughs> preach so yeah and going back to new york so there's one thing else that i want to talk about and that is the new york city music seminars oh yeah which was a big thing in for us in the late 80s maybe early 90s but for us we were there in the late 80s and it, man, just give the listeners a little bit of synopsis of what the new music seminar was all about.
1: Well, uh, geez. I know that's it's, rough to
0: condense it.
1: But. No, it's yeah, it's, it's a big, gigantic convention of sorts that takes place once a year. And uh, it, anybody who does anything in the music industry, from performers to DJs to production people record executives. I mean, just literally anything that has to do with the recording industry. Uh, they have this big giant convention in New York and people from all over the world show up there and there's all kinds of things going on all week and all the different clubs have special new music seminar things going on. Uh, we went to a lot of that kind of stuff that, um, I think one of the Palladium trips was actually directly related to that, going to a rap show out in the middle of, I don't even know where the hell it was. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get to that. Yeah. So yeah, just for me to add a
0: little bit to that, it would be they'd have different workshops. Yeah. So they might have a workshop on beat matching, or they might have a workshop on record promotion and how to break songs on the air or how to break. Uh, we talked about it a lot in the nest pod of how to break a certain song in a club. Sure. They might dedicate an hour and have guest speakers and DJs that would come out. And, uh, and actually one of the first ones that I went to, um, I know down the road we'll get into this is that I went and I went to a rooftop party cause those were big too, is that record companies would have rooftop parties and Mantronics was spinning at the party. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So we missed that one. You you mentioned (laughs) that we went to a rap battle, so I guess the best way to term this, if you've ever seen the movie Eight Mile, don't you think it was kind of a precursor to that? Is there were there were some MCs that were on stage and they were doing their thing, and the reason why it sticks out in my mind is because Will Smith was there, and you know Will Smith told a megastar now I meant multi million dollar movie actor, and. DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince were kind of just Fresh pretty, Prince. He were, was known as The, the Fresh, fresh Prince. Prince.
1: This is before he was Will Smith. That's right. He just came out as The Fresh Prince. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he wasn't Fresh wasn't so fresh at this place though.
0: So. That's the... <laughs> it's, a, it's a good way to put it. He wasn't too fresh. Let's just say the that fresh The Fresh
1: Prince was kind of stale actually.
0: <laughs> the crowd was not very welcoming to The Fresh Prince. No. And DJ Red Alert, which was a big New York DJ, was there. He was kind of co-hosting. What sticks out in my mind was Grand Master Melly Mel was there. And he was on stage, and he was like, I'm the best rapper in the universe.
1: Hey, dude, he was pretty much the show. Yeah. As far as I'm... I mean, from me, my my memories are, are pretty fuzzy. But I remember him as being the stage presence the uh, vocal command the you know the performance to hi- to me he was the whole show yeah and everybody else is kind of peripheral so I- including uh uh <laughs> yeah uh, the fresh prince got up and did his thing and th- there wasn't
0: a lot of applause there was a little bit of yeah. <laughs> and he was like come on red tell him man tell him And then that's when Melly Mel was like, I'm the best rapper that there ever was. I'm the best rapper in the universe. I will always be the number one. And (laughs) and it's like his presence, he was taking over. So let's tip our hat to Grandmaster Melly Mel of Grandmaster Flash with uh, one of the songs that was featured in the movie Beat Street.
1: Speaking of, uh, yeah, songs that kind of set a tone for an era... Yeah, and just listen to the lyrics. This gets pretty deep. Yeah. It's a good, it's actually a pretty good movie, too. Beat Street Breakdown.
5: I'm the best rapper in the world.
3: Beat Street, the king of the beat. You see a rockin' rocking that beat from across the street. And <laughs> Beat Street <laughs> is a lesson, too, because you can't let the streets beat you. <laughs> Ugh. A picture can express a thousand words to describe all the beauty of life you give And if the world was yours to do over I know you'd paint a better place to live where the colors would swirl and the boys and girls can grow in peace and harmony and where murals stand on walls so grand as far as the eye are able to on your face, that there'll never be one to take your place. Cause each and every time you touch the spray paint can, Michelangelo's soul controls your hands, dies and falls. The last great empire, the sound of the whole world caught on fire. The ruthless struggle, the desperate gamble, the game that left the whole world in shambles. The cheats, the lies, the alibis, in the foolish attempt to conquer the skies. Lost in space, and what is it worth? Huh? The president just forgot about. All top beings and maybe even trillions. The cost of weapons ran in the zillions. The gold in the street and there's diamond under feet. And the children in Africa don't the eat. Flies on the faces, they're living like mice. And the houses even make the ghetto look nice. Huh? The water tastes funny, it's forever too sunny. And they work all night and don't make no money. A fight for power, a nuclear shower. A people shop out in the darkest hour. The sights unseen and voices unheard. And finally, the bomb gets the last word. Killed Muslim, and German killed Jews, and everybody's bodies are used and abused. Huh. Minds are poisoned, and souls are polluted. Superiority complexes disputed. Legends and license, and people got prices. Egomaniacs control the self righteous. Nothing is sacred, and nothing is pure. And so the revelation of that. Hiroshima, a Vietnam, Leningrad, Ibu Jima, Okinawa, Korea, the Philippines Devastation, death, the killer machines The people's in terror, the leaders made an error And now they can't even look in the mirror Cause we gotta suffer while things get rougher And that's the reason why we got to get tougher To learn from the past and work for the future And don't be a slave to no computer Cause the children of man inherit the land And the future of the world is in your hands Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah!
5: Yeah Everybody, do you believe?
0: I believe he's the best rapper in the world.
1: There he is. Yeah. When he's throwing down something like that, you have to believe in it. Because it's so good. What yeah, was I the other what was that other there was two main rap movies back then what was the other one i can't think breaking of... breaking yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Shabadoo. Yeah, Turbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 beat street was beat street was the cool one though because it was actually more of a it was yeah. actually a better movie yeah, it wasn't I, just like a break dancing movie it was an actual better
0: stayed true i yeah. think to the genre yeah and uh harry belafonte produced it yeah so a lot of and and it, it did the writing and just the, the production of it yeah, was a lot it, higher. it was a great movie they so, had good
1: music in it and the what was it? Didn't the dude do the head spin in that one? Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and yeah, the the break we we talked about going to some of those clubs with the new music seminars. That the classic scene in Beat Street is when the two opposing teams battle each other inside yeah. the club. I think it was the Roxy. Yeah, and we were pondering going to the Roxy yeah. when we were there. Actually, I did go there. The club had done the New York thing, where similar to a lot of nightclubs, where it had transformed into a different format after the years had you know gone from the Beat Street era, the Break yeah. Street era. But
1: pretty common in the nightclub industry, yeah, it's always got to reinvent itself. And people clubs get hot, and then they, then they go cold, you know. And then they got to reinvent themselves to keep in business. And there's a lot of turnover. Club ownership turns over. It's a pretty short-lived. Business, you get like four or five years out of it, and you're pretty, you're doing a pretty good job.
0: Yeah, I think it it done the common thing where it changed the name, but it was still the same location, but different setup. But but one story that I'll share from sitting there is that, you know, once again, like you had described the big theaters, this was just a huge club. It it would look like you were in two high school gymnasiums, long and wide. And they had couches set up in a bar and I was just sitting in the couch and I saw a guy come in who was holding some records, some 12 inches, and he walked up to the booth and gave them to the DJ. And that was just something I'll never forget because it does remind me of the Jelly Bean thing or, you know, Bruce Forrest, like, oh, I got a new cut that just came out. It could have been Noel Silent Morning or something and here's your first chance to break the song and you haven't even heard it yet. And do you play it? Because uh, I know that I had some experiences. One of them was at the booth, that celebrity, when somebody walked up and said, hey, can you play my song? And that's a big gamble.
1: Well, you can't. I mean, it, that's one of those things where you, if you don't listen to it, you never heard it before. If somebody puts you on the spot, you're actually listening to it in your headphones while the house is playing a song. Because you're not going to stop playing and then, hey, hey hold on, guys. I'm going to listen to this new song and decide whether I'm going to play it or not. Yeah, well, that's kind of crazy, actually. You
0: you know, one more thing we'll say about the club music, because I know that we're going to make our way back to Wall Jam Productions. Uh, One of the things that we have talked about was record pools. And that was part of the process when you're a DJ and you were in a record pool is that every week you would be given a certain amount of records. And your job was to listen to the records, rate the records, and then figure out if you were going to play those in the club. So everything from MCA, Warner Brothers, independent labels, you would be getting all that stuff coming through the record pool. Yeah. And I can remember staying out late one night, and I was sleeping in, and I hadn't been to the pool to fill out my stuff, and you did my uh, feedback for me. You listened to all the records and went through them and then marked, and I just w- took it down the record pool and said, yep, here you go, Dep, five, four, three, two, whatever the process yeah. was.
1: It's actually kind of fun, you know, especially if you're really into hearing new stuff. Because you get everything. You get all kinds of stuff. You get stuff that's really cool. In fact, I still have some pro- promo copies. I have a Giorgio promo copy somewhere in one of the crates when I was going through the, the crates the other day. And I'm like, what the hell song is this? Why do I have this in there? It's like, I don't even remember it. But And I got a lot of 12 inches like that. But as far as the record pool is concerned, you know that's how they promoted music and we were talking about that in the last in part one here radio was the big promotion of music back in those days but this was another outlet when club music and dance music started really catching on fire the record companies would just throw all of these songs and all of these dance oriented songs and even non-dance oriented songs or or remixes of songs that weren't dance songs and they'd throw those on onto 12-inch onto singles and then distribute those throughout the country to all these these DJs and hoping that it creates some type of a buzz and so people will go out and buy that music.
0: Dean's in studio, and it's, I got a big smile on my face because it's reminding me of that era. Another tip of the hat to Terry Hildebrand because when the Zero to Zero thing was forming, I, I always remember Terry if they decided that they were going to do a song, let's say, for example, it's Jesse Johnson, Lovestruck, and he would say, hey, do you have that new 12-inch out? And I'd say, oh, yeah, I just got it from the pool. And then we would go through the dub, the instrumentals, if there was acapella, and Terry would be lifting the samples to use in his programming, and then they would end up doing that song. Yeah, And it just it, the reason why I have a smile on my face, because it just reminds me of that era of the, the late 80s and early 90s if you were into that, that production just sticks in your head. Yeah. You know, the baby faces, the uh what's it, Jam and Lewis, all those guys. And we and we're big fans of Bruce Forrest because we loved every remix he ever did. Yeah. We could go all over the map on this club thing, but we're gonna have to shut it down because we could just keep talking for hours yeah. about it. Uh but one thing I, yeah. I I'm gonna hit you, I'm gonna kinda of blindside you by this. But I remember being in New York, and we'll wrap it up after this is that I don't know if you remember the time we were walking around the streets, and I think that we might have went to go see Trump Tower or something, we were doing something. Yeah, yeah. And we came across this big crowd, and we could not figure out what was going on with this crowd. They had streets were marked off, and we looked across the street, and we were leaning up against the wall. Do you know where I'm going
1: with this? Uh, vaguely. Okay, we, yeah. were,
0: we were leaning up against the wall, and we are looking across the street, and and the one thing about New York is that when you're there, it's a huge city, obviously, and you basically just you're on foot. So you're either on the subway or on foot or taking or a, a taxi.
1: Yep. which is a whole nother.
0: <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> coming from
1: the Palladium, and uh, so 60 miles an hour. We're
0: yeah. <laughs> we're leaned up against the wall, and we're looking across the street, and we cannot figure out what's going on. There's this huge crowd. And I think we might have saw some cameras, but we, they were really stealth. We didn't really see too much, but we saw a very attractive young lady, and then we're like, "Okay, well, what's going on with this?" And we're leaned up against the wall, and there's a limousine in front of us, and out the doors open, and out walk Don Johnson and philip Michael thomas, and we're right in front of us, and then we see him walk across the street. They do a scene. They were shooting the New York City pilot for Miami Vice. Yeah. And it
1: probably... It, I totally forgot about that, but yeah, I totally remember. <laughs> it probably... Yeah. With yeah, that it was weird. It,
0: and we were probably there for about a half an hour watching this thing unfold. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we watch him. They do the scene, and then they get back in the limo, and they take off. And when we, we watch, it, like I said, 30 to 45 minutes, and then it was probably maybe a four to five second shot in the two hour special of Miami vice. Yeah. So yeah, that, that kind of blew my mind.
1: Yeah. All right. You see all kinds of weird stuff like that in New York that we were probably eating a slice of pizza too at the time. Slice from Ray's. There you go. Yeah. That's it. Best pizza. I don't say in the world, but that I've ever had, I think. Oh yeah. Especially when you're starving cause you're walking around all the place. So yeah.
0: And if you go to New York and you eat a piece of pizza, I'm going to give you a tip. Fold it in half. It's just a technique that you need to know. <laughs> I still do it today. <laughs> right. Anyway. Throw some pepper flakes on there, some parmesan, and fold it in half, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's cleanse the palate and we're gonna we're gonna make our way back to Wall Jam Productions. But before we do, we're gonna get into a sidebar here. Okay, Dr. Spade so. Okay. <laughs> Out of nowhere, but yeah, we'll do it. Uh so man, if I If I can recall, that was a 386 computer that I had.
1: I think so, yeah.
0: And back then, you know, it's not like it is today, where you have all these cards and peripherals available to you. Back then, I didn't even have good sound coming out of my computer. I think it was whatever was coming out of the motherboard. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah. And my folks bought me a sound card for my birthday. I'm like, Dean, I got this new sound card, you know. And I have some stuff printed out from the internet. It was a first-generation Sound Blaster, 8-bit ISA, meaning it's going to go into the actual motherboard. And we opened up the computer and we put it in. And we also figured out that with the, with the sound card came some software. And it was uh, Dr. Spatezo which was an acronym (laughs) for Sound Blaster Acting Intelligent Text-to-Speech Operator. Yeah. Dr. Spatzo.
1: Dr. Spatzo.
0: So before we do an analysis of Dr. Spatzo, let's give you a taste of what something like this might sound like.
6: Dr. Spatzo, my creative labs. please enter your name.
0: Birdman.
6: Hello, my name is Dr. Spatzo. I am here to help you say whatever is in your mind freely. Our conversation will be kept in strict confidence. Memory contents will be wiped off after you leave. So, tell me about your problems.
0: Hey, Dr. Spatso, why don't you go F yourself?
6: Don't talk about me in this way. So, what is your problem?
0: Hey, what are you talking about? You need to make love to yourself.
6: Could you explain (laughs) further?
0: You need to make love to yourself.
6: Don't get fresh. I hate people asking me stupid questions. What could you do to
0: help rectify this? Why should my ass be of any concern to you? Don't talk about me in this way. I would like to switch to the topic about something
6: else. Forget about (laughs) me, I am more concerned of you.
5: Well, isn't that
7: special?
6: Does that question really interest you? (laughs) Make love to yourself. I want to talk about you fucking crazy thing. (laughs) There Anything else? That's a lovely accent you have. Are you really talking about me? Let's talk about something else instead. Well then. Good day, mate. Let's put another shrimp on the ball bay. La 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 the la, craziness. La, 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 la. Crazy, crazy drone, Some kind of hatred crazy. Crazy. Dr. Spitzel, My creative loves, please enter your name.
5: Oh! oh.
6: You don't have to be so polite. Uh... Have you tried to ask for help? You need to make love to yourself. Don't talk about me. I am more concerned of you. Tell me about your other interests.
0: Sweet. <laughs> okay, so that was that was just poking some fun and having some fun with editing, but that's actually what it was like. You would type out commands to Doctor Spazo and when I say make love to yourself, that's not exactly what was being asked of Doctor Uh It, you know, some young men, it might have been a little bit more. Um, graphic than that. But so the thing when you hear the parody air, if you did too much of that, it would go into that air mode. So we would pretty much put Dr. Spacewood in air mode every single session that we had.
1: It's primitive. Computer talking, uh, computer voice synthesis had been around before that.
0: In the movie but- War Games, you heard a little bit of that. About- yeah. Yeah.
6: Greetings, Professor Falcon.
8: It's not a real voice. Uh, this box just interprets signals from the computer and turns them into sound.
6: Shall we play a game? Oh... Wouldn't you prefer a good game of chess? <laughs> Later. Let's play.
2: Global thermonuclear War. Fine.
6: <laughs> Alright! Yesterday's game was interrupted, although primary goal has not yet been achieved. You are a hard man to reach, could not find you in Seattle, and no terminal is in operation at your classified address.
2: me a status report.
0: Greetings, Professor Falcon. Hello, Joshua. Strange
6: game. The only winning move is not to play.
1: You know, that's like the first real computer synthesis on a home computer. And uh, it was kind of, you know, back in that age where personal computers were just starting to really take off i mean today they're ubiquitous but it was also kind of a, a harbinger of the times to hear stuff like that and we i mean we were into that and i don't know how much was sampling was was being done at that time and I mean, because it all kind of ties in to, to that.
0: Yeah, that's a good point because that was when we talked earlier about the Mirage and the floppy disk and Terry and I with the sampling and um, he had a profit and I had a Mirage. But yeah, that was going on and and some of those sound bites that were used in just that little sample was samples of me and you that had recorded our own sounds for a golf game. I think it was Microsoft Golf that we were playing yeah. and we took all the stock sounds and we we recorded our own WAV files. And what the deal was is we had to make it the exact same time of the original for it to work in the program. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I don't know what else to say about Dr. Spazo, but it was, Oh, I guess one thing I would say is that he was like a psychologist. And that was the funny thing to us because he'd always, if you asked him a question, he'd ask you back like, well, I'm concerned about why you're asking me that yeah so we would continually just keep banging at the door
1: dr sebato was was goofy there was really no practical use for it but it was something it was more of a tech demonstration and it kind of showed where the future of personal computing would go and eventually you know its gigantic influence in music production and sampling and uh just i mean it was a harbinger of the of the revolution the digital revolution that was coming online here
0: yeah and when i when i mentioned the thing about being the original first generation sound blaster when i looked up the new cards that that was an eight-bit card the new the new cards the sound just to keep it in the same family creative lab sound blaster is now 24 bit and i think you can get one on amazon for a hundred bucks yeah and that card was probably two hundred three hundred back then it was it was a spendy item,
1: yeah, which is crazy uh, given what we got today and
0: you think about just the price yeah. of a keyboard back then
1: yeah that and it was primitive, I mean for the time it was cutting edge, but for now it's like a you know it's like stone age stuff
0: we just wanted to include that just because it was a memory of ours that we had, and it is a it was the introduction of text speech, to, uh, speech, I guess it would be text to speech, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And it was a, vo- a voice synthesizer and it does sound kind of funny. And now when you get on to listen to any AMA, Amazon voice or IBM voice, and there's so many of that are out on the market now that a lot of YouTubers use them that don't want to speak themselves and they just use yeah, text yeah. to voice.
1: Even people, you know, it's just the three listeners out there that <laughs> use nav on their car, you know, this was you're hearing people that sound really natural. You know, hey, in two miles, take a left. There you go. And whatever That's it's saying, uh, this is kind of like the originator of that whole thing, which is, like I said, it's ubiquitous nowadays.
0: Yeah, my favorite is when the nav system gets a- upset at you. Right turn at the next inter. Right turn at the next intersection. <laughs> Rerouting. So we're gonna use this uh, text to voice as a segue to get back into Wall Jam. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break off the Dirty Dozen, which oh, I God. did give the teaser. This is five minutes of your life that you will never get back.
9: Number one, Bob Seeger, old time rock and roll.
7: Just take those old records off the shelf. I said listen to them by myself. Today's music ain't got the same song. I like that old time rock and roll.
9: Number two. The Beatles, Twist, and Shout.
1: Number
9: Three, The Kingsman, Louis, Louis.
1: I still got to listen to this at the Mariner Games.
9: The Champs, <laughs> Tequila. <laughs> Number 5, Los Lobos, La Bomba. come out on the floor. <laughs> Number six, Kenny Loggins, Footloose.
4: I've
5: been working so hard. I'm punching my car. Everybody cut, everybody cut. Everybody, everybody cut Footloose.
9: Number seven. Cool in the Gang, Celebration.
1: Great song. Sick of it.
9: Number 8, Sister Sledge, We Are Family.
1: Another great song. Yeah. Another great song I never want to hear again. <laughs>
5: we are family. I got all my sisters with
9: me. We are family. Get up
5: shake your
0: body baby do that conga no you can't
1: control yourself any longer come on shake your body baby do that conga no you can't control
5: yourself any longer we'll text the speech there little dr Sabato influence come on, your body, baby, do that
0: number
9: 10 the village people y m c a
1: why
5: <laughs>
9: number 11 Billy Idol Moni Moni
1: we she throw a white wedding into this money, one also It'd be a two for one good I think we'll give him a two for on this one
0: at the fader.
9: number 12 the romantics what i like about you
1: this might be the most repulsive this, this sends me over the top yeah this might be the most repulsive hey! old-time old-time rock and roll is pretty bad too uh-huh. hey uh-huh. What I
7: like about
1: you. nothing Actually, this is a great song that I never want to hear again.
0: Dirty yeah, so I, the only thing that we can really share about that is when there is a difference between listening to music and then playing music for a living. Yeah. Like once you've almost every single mobile, and there's a lot more songs that we could include in that list, so there, those are just some of the top, like Dean had mentioned during Moni Moni. Where as a DJ, you're if you knew how to work the crossfader, you're usually pulling in, cutting down the music in the crowd, and there's a chant that people would do at weddings. Hey, hey. Oh, money, money. Yeah.
1: Everybody, Everybody yeah. get Get laid. <laughs> get get, yeah. yeah. get yeah. f get laid, something, yeah. Trying to keep it PG rated. There you go. The thing about that is that to the lay person listening to this or thinking, those are all great songs. And we're not saying they're not. Actually, the fact that they are so great is why they're in there. Problem is, is that when you take a hobby, which is listening to music, and you turn it into a job, and you do the same repetitious stuff over and over and over again, you hear the same songs over and over and over again, at some point, you hit your breaking point, And when you hear that song, you become nauseated. <laughs> because you've heard it so many times. It's the reason why people are continuously buying new music. Or, I mean, just, in, just for the layperson who enjoys music, they're always buying new music because you get sick of listening to the old thing. So imagine having to continue to listen to something that you've already gotten sick of. Moni, Moni, for example. We probably heard that song a thousand times. And so when we hear it, uh, it just creates an automatic kind of negativity in our brains. A gut musically. feeling. Yeah. In our gut. We get a gut feeling. I don't want to listen to this. I've heard it. It's a great song. We're not saying that yeah. they're bad. Classic. It's just, it's a classic song. It's an awesome song, but turning a hobby into a business has a tendency to take things in a direction where you're not quite so excited about them anymore. So that's where we're coming from. You know,
0: the one thing I think about this, it's always my thought, is that I think about the number of songs that we've listened to, like you just described, and w- when it was on, what I, like, what I Like About You is probably the biggest example for us as DJs. It makes me think of David Jensen, who is a, a good buddy of ours and has been pounded out in the nightclub. So going back to the very first episode with Terry Hilderbrand, the drummer of Sato, then became the singer of Zero to Zero, and then, after that, he's been working with the Aphrodisiacs as a lead singer and, and a number of other spinoff bands. I want to ask him what his feeling about playing Brick House is today, because he's <laughs> he's been in the trenches for so long, I could only yeah. imagine what's going through his system.
1: I I don't get it. I don't, I mean, you really have to be dedicated to what you're doing or be trapped. There's a lot of musicians that go down that road. Even people that are playing their own original music, they just get trapped in this thing because it's a business. The music business is a rough business to be in. For, I mean, being a DJ is one thing, but being a musician is a whole nother thing. But bottom line is, is that you're up at all hours of the night on a regular basis you're in a loud environment there's always a lot of hustle and bustle going on and it wears on your nerves even if you're even the people who are even really into it it still takes a toll on you not not just mentally but physically it's hard it's a hard it's a hard environment to make a living at and a lot of guys get trapped in it because you know once it turns into a business and you see what happened, what happens to a lot of these musicians, you know, they go down the road and at some point they end up dead in a hotel room or something, you know? Yeah. Um, and it happens a lot. And that's, and that's why it's because it's a hard business to be in.
0: I hear that. But we're going to continue with this wall jam productions thing. I think we're going to get into a little bit about the trials and tribulations of Wall Jam Productions and being a mobile DJ. And one of the things that people don't realize in today's day is what it was like to have to buy music or find music. So what I would do as the so-called manager of Wall Jam Productions is I would send out a sheet to the bride and groom, and they would send me a sheet back with their requests. And one time, DJ Des got a sheet and it had a particular song. What did you do to have to try to find that song?
1: Well, yeah, I received uh, the sheet. Then I talked to the bride-to-be, and she was adamant about, I have to have this song. This this song is the linchpin of this reception. If I don't have this song at my reception, the whole thing is going to be a bust. I mean put all the superlatives that you want into this, but I mean, I can't exaggerate enough how important this song was. So I was, you know, one of the things that we really tried to do, and it's something that's really important as a mobile DJ is you're trying to do everything that the client wants.
0: Yeah, it's about their day.
1: It's about their day. You know, if it's something, every song that they could want or every kind of service that you can give to them, it's really important to try to make sure that that happens. Everything within your power. So one of the things that we frequently did was went on on hunts for music, for certain songs, because you got to remember, this is back in the late '80s, early '90s, and uh, you know, to the three people. There's probably more like nine people now, right? <laughs> Our audience is growing our our yes <laughs> our audience has grown by 200 percent over hey the last once day. we <laughs>
0: dropped square cow fun bar yeah it's, it's paying dues
1: okay to the point at hand so you
0: jumped in your 83 civic and you had to hit the road tower records golden oldies yeah the music market i
1: assured this person that yeah i'm gonna have this song for you I went to every single record store in Seattle. I could not find this song. I spent all day it was a, It was a Saturday, and I think it was it was a Saturday before the gig. It might have even been a friday it might it was very close to, to the time of the of their wedding reception and I went to every record store in Seattle, or at least it seemed like it and I went the 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 last store I went to was goldie's um. Golden Oldies on 45th in Wallingford, which ironically is like right down the street from where I live now. Um, But uh, these guys had the song finally. And I went up to the, I mean, I was looking through their stacks of records and stuff for it. And I didn't find it. So I had to go up to the the front of the the store and ask the clerk. And he goes, "Uh, let me look. And he had some kind of a catalog, again, not on a computer, in a book written down or typed into a a manifest of some sort, which is what we had to do back in those days. And what I was going to say is you can't do, you don't have to do that kind of stuff nowadays because you can get every single song you want directly off the internet. So people that are listening, they don't realize how hard of a job it was sometimes to find certain music back in the day because you had to physically go to a store and pick it up tangibly in your hands. And if you didn't do that, guess what? You weren't gonna play that song because you didn't have it. Now you can get anything you want. So, And it's hard for maybe some of the younger people to understand the concept of what what we're talking about, but you gotta put yourself back in the day.
0: There was no YouTube, there There was was no Pandora. There was no Amazon music.
1: None of that stuff.
0: It all It was physical. It was hard copy. And yep. for us at that time, what well, was vinyl and tape, cassette, we did eventually move into CDs. But primarily our time that we spent DJing was vinyl. Yep. And I'm a vinyl junkie. Oh, but yeah. We, but we had cassettes as well.
1: Yeah. So I found it. Goldies. Golden Oldies on 45th, which is down the street from Goldies, or what used to be Goldies yeah. anyway. Uh Right next to Dick's Drive, and the place is still there. Dragon's Lair, my friend. <laughs> That's all that in a California cooler. That's all you need.
4: <laughs>
1: so I found I found the record. The record cost me fifteen dollars plus tax. Now you're thinking, <laughs> and you made two seventy five. <laughs> yeah, for the gig, whatever. Two seventy five for the gig, or th- was it three twenty five at that time? Yeah. We probably jacked the price up a few bucks. But we didn't charge by the hour. That was one of the cool things about, about That's Wall a Jam production podcast
0: segment right there.
1: Yeah. Uh, at any rate... We were a flat I, charge. Flat charge and... Uh,
0: Meaning however long they wanted to party, we were hanging out. doing Yeah. It.
1: And actually, that got us a lot of jobs, that yeah. mentality. Because people were impressed with that. Because a lot of the other DJ outfits would kind of nickel and dime you. And everything would be on... You know, like the 15 minute mark or half an hour mark, you go 15 minutes more, you get, you're paying for another hour, that kind of thing. We didn't do any of that kind of stuff was flat rate charge. And that's what we charged. And we stayed there for the duration. Uh, Sometimes that was good. And sometimes it made us do an eight hour gig which yeah, should have we'll, been more we'll, like four.
0: After we <laughs> after we get into this music thing, we'll get into the tear down and set up yeah. of the, the trial and tribulations.
1: Yeah, so anyway, back to the... So I bought this record, 15 bucks, finally, after a day of searching, hitting every single record store I could imagine in Seattle. And there was a lot of them back then, uh, unlike now. Uh, it's kind of a... Almost, a, it's kind of a... It's yeah. not really extinct because there's always people that are really into tangible music buying their stuff physically yeah we talked but,
0: about it earlier vinyl making a comeback it's in target it's in yeah. walmart it was in fries before fries closed down but yeah it's, yeah it's making a comeback for the audio files
1: yeah uh so 15 bucks for this song <laughs> so i get to the gig and i set up i'm doing you know i got everything sound check everything people start coming into the thing Yeah, i start playing the regular music you know the the dirty dozen that we heard <laughs> earlier, cool. uh, you know, mixed in Yeah. Mixed in with a few of the, you know, hits of the day and that kind of thing. And maybe it even snuck in a couple club mixes and that, and the other thing. That's one thing that we always tried to do. We always tried to steer it. We always had a little segment where we could actually, you know, do a little mix, do a little beat match and wasn't always feasible for every crowd, but you know, we try to do it as much as possible, obviously given our background, but I get towards the end of the gig, you know, we're about three and a half hours in, you know, grandma and grandpa already left an hour ago. The little kids stop, you know, running around the dance floor. They're off. It's just the younger people who are still partying. And this time they're lit up, they're drunk. Clearing the drinks off of your speakers. Yeah, <laughs> keeping it off the uh, board. I don't want that stuff spilling on my turntables and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking, you know, at any point they're going to come up and say, "Okay, man, this is this is it. This is it. This is the time we're going to hear this song." Never happened. Not a single time did anybody come up and ask me to play this stupid song. I spent a whole day, wasted fifteen <laughs> bucks and fifteen bucks. We're talking. 1988 dollars not 2021 dollars so and I think at the time even at, at UPS I was probably only making like 20 bucks an hour maybe and so I ate this song I ate it I never played the song it's still sitting in a box somewhere and it's not virgin because it was a used 45 But it's sitting in a box somewhere in my basement. I tried to look for it and pull it up for the podcast. I couldn't even find it. That's how unimportant it actually became in the end. Ridiculous.
0: I'll give our our nine listeners a live soundbite of you at a mobile, followed up by Daddy's little girl. (laughs) Okay, all
1: single women, this is your last chance to be the next lucky bride.
0: According
1: to tradition.
0: Okay. now we're
1: gonna to count to three, and on three she's gonna to toss it. I'm
0: gonna take a
4: break. I mean, just count. Okay. All right, Lori. Ready?
1: One, two, three. <laughs> this one's for real. Okay. Ready? Here we go.
0: That was the videographer telling you to do a fake one.
1: Three okay, all you single guys. Now it's your turn to come on out to the dance
0: floor. And I'd like everybody out on the dance floor we're gonna do a special request from Tiffany to her father, which I never played.
2: <laughs> You're the end My part of gold,
5: your daddy's little
1: girl, memories, my friend, to
5: have move.
1: We're not jaded at all, don't worry. A
2: precious gem is what you are, your mommy's bride. <laughs> Shining Star, you're the spirit of Christmas, my star on the tree. You're the Easter bunny to Mommy and me. Your sugar, your spice. You're everything nice. And your are little
1: girl. Breathe deep. Touching. Exhale. Touching. Let it all out. gosh. Oh, <laughs> chilling. I'm getting chills. <laughs> I, or is that nauseous?
0: Well, uh, palpitations. Yeah. I, how about moving on? <laughs> we'll now, get it.
1: We'll imagine get- imagine spending an entire day and then spending 15 bucks only to never play that. And it's now awesome.
0: sitting in your 45 record racks in <laughs> yeah. your shoebox.
1: Yeah. I got to find it and pull it out. There
0: you go. Well, let's talk more about the trials and tribulations then. We like you said we're not jaded, but I think that there are some things that people don't understand about because usually when you're at an event, you're celebrating. It's a it's about the day to celebrate and you see the bride and groom having a good time, the dance, the dance parties going on, the DJs there. But what does it take to actually from our side set up and do a mobile?
1: Yeah. So Kind of the nuts and bolts of the mobile DJ job is doing a lot of uh, preparation, both gear-wise, music-wise. You know, you need to uh, come up with a music playlist of some sorts. A lot of it you can wing because, you know, most of the songs are pretty ubiquitous to every uh, party or reception or what have you. Um, and then other ones are really specific. There's specific types of, of parties that you go to. It might be a little more country and western oriented. It may be more uh, a little hip hop oriented, maybe a little more funky oriented. It all depends, and that's part of the, the pre-job uh, preparation. And uh, you know, a typical day of doing a mobile DJ gig is getting all your gear together. Uh, Packing it up into the van, uh, crates of records, heavy amplifier racks, (laughs) heavy speakers, doing a whole lot of lugging of gear, Um, trying to maintain as light as possible. But back in those days, it was hard because we're talking about physical gear. It's not like it is nowadays where you can put everything into the trunk of your You needed a vehicle. You needed
0: a vehicle. We had a couple vans
1: yeah we had vans, and you had to actually you know these this is big bulky stuff, and uh you know once you load it up from home you're you're driving for however long it takes to get to the gig i mean it could it could take you a couple hours to get to the gig, depending on where it is It could be out in the middle of nowhere uh once you get there, you're hoping that you're not going upstairs. I know that for a fact <laughs> or a hotel because with, yeah. there's, because there's nobody helping you, you know you're you're talking to you know 70 pounds or 75 pounds of of ramp uh, of a uh, amp rack and yeah. you're lugging that upstairs it's you know we were younger in those days so it wasn't that big of a deal we can handle it but you know i think about a tacoma gig
0: that i did just to share the story is that i had to carry my turntable case up four stories cuz there was no elevator access yeah So that was a rough one. And I think too, just a shout out to Terry and to Dana and to David, Zero to Zero, when they all started. And that's another thing that I think that people don't see with the live music. Oh, shout out to Mark Cotto, our other DJ buddy that was doing it with us, is that it's just that they, and when you think about the formation of Sato, the band that we covered with Terry in the first show, that they had their own truck that they were hauling around their PA system with and zero to zero, they all Dana Brown setting up the gear, you know, carrying all the stuff to the club. Uh, that's, that's a big undertaking that I think that people don't see.
1: Yeah. And it all takes place before the gig and after. Yeah. And if you're a guest and that's all you've ever done, you don't see all the work that goes into it. So, you know, by the time that the actual show starts, uh, you know, you've been at it for a couple hours at least. You know, you, you've you set everything up. You've, you know, quarter-inch jack in here and this, that, and the other thing, and plug in here, uh, putting tape down so that people don't trip over your extension cords. That's the other thing, the logistics. Sometimes you show up at a place and they'd have, oh, this is where the DJ is going to set up. No oh, Guess power. what? There's no power there. <laughs> so when I'm going to run a 100-foot extension cord you know, and snake it along this line. Oh, and guess what? It's going to cross a doorway <laughs> where people are walking through. So you're, you know, you always, you got all the tools in your bag, including uh, duct tape, which yeah. was, you know, a real lifesaver. Gaffing tape. Gaffing tape, and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, so, you know, by the time this, the show starts, you're, you're already a couple hours into it. You've done your sound check and all that kind of stuff. And then people start trickling in. And then you're playing uh, smooth jazz for a while while people eat and that kind of thing. You're hanging out. It's cool. You're, you're chilling. You got a chair, you know, uh, this is the easy <laughs> part of the gig. Cause you're not at a four second or a four minute deadline every four minutes. But once you start playing the songs and this is the other thing that I've told people, what's it like to be a DJ? Well, it's a lot more stressful than you think it is because to the lay person, they're just seeing hear, they're hearing songs, they're hearing a bunch of music playing, but what they're not seeing is for the DJ, there is a four minute deadline every four minutes, for hours on end. And it if, if the gig is a long gig, if you're there for three hours, you got a four minute deadline every four minutes. Maybe you can throw a couple slow songs in there, maybe, Uh, there's an extended song that lasts a little longer so you can chill out. But imagine a four-minute deadline every four minutes for two hours.
0: Not only is it a deadline, but think about the deadline and trying to get people up to dance. So you have that deadline, and you're trying to pick the right song that's going to get people. And if you have a crowd that's difficult, that's when the stress level kicks up. And what I mean by difficult is not that they're difficult people. It's just that they're not responding to the Dirty Dozen. So whatever's going on, you're really struggling to get them up. And to get to the thing about getting to the format, one thing that you said that I I would like to add on, the thing about being a mobile DJ is having that skill and experience of knowing how to handle those crowds.
1: And read the crowd. What kind of crowd is it? Perfectly
0: said. Reading and knowing oh, I might want to play some country and let me see if they respond to country. And if they do respond to country, I'm going to know I'm going to go a little bit in that direction or in listening to people when they come up and ask for a request and knowing that, yeah, this is about them. I'm going to play their requests yeah, yeah. and try to make it happen.
1: Yeah. And coming from, from a club, yeah, here's the thing, once you get the freedom of the club experience where you, you're you directing the music. It ain't about you having to please anybody except the owner and his wallet. So, I mean, there's a certain amount of pressure there too, but in a club, people are going there to hear new stuff. So when you're breaking stuff, people are gonna respond. Uh, on, a, on a mobile gig, you're totally catering to the crowd at every moment. And the, you could play a couple songs, a dance floor will be packed And then you'll play another song and it'll empty completely. And so you're on an island and you are the entertainment and you feel the pressure of doing it. I mean, it's not the end of the world or anything, but at the same time, if you got a hundred people in the room and they're all looking at you, there's a little bit of pressure there to produce and, and you get good at reading the crowd. That's, that's, that's the one thing. The longer that we did it, the, the better the repertoire that we attained, we figured out the Dirty Dozen, all that kind of stuff, the songs that pretty much always work. What you could pull you out of a hole.
0: You take it back to Wall Jam 1 and 2, which we talked about previously, is that we had had that experience. So we, we knew what we needed to do at yeah. that point in time. And then, we, like you said, we got better, which, which talking about these various formats, it's going to lead us into your version of the Mexican restaurant. And I know that Mark's going to want to hear this because he, yeah. when he did his episode, he said, make sure that Dean talks about it. He wants to hear your version of that.
1: Yeah. So one of the gigs that we attained, and I think it was Cotto that actually set yep. the whole thing up. It was his thing. So uh, <laughs> what was that? Azteca. Well,
0: I, I had at that point in time, he said it was under new management, so they changed the name, and he knew what the name of it. We're just referring to it as Azteca, but it yeah. was a Cinco de Mayo gig.
1: It's a Mexican restaurant. Yeah. It was a Cinco de Mayo gig, and it was promoted heavily by a local radio station in Seattle, <laughs> and uh, we were quite jacked to get this gig because it was a lot of exposure, and you know, we figure, well, we could generate a lot of business out of this because we are going to be handing cards out. There's going to be a lot of people there. It's going to get a certain amount of radio play. It's going to get a certain amount of promotion from this, uh, radio station, I'll call it. Um, and that was part of the deal as I remember is that we were going to do the music. We did all of the music at this gig. We set it up. It was our gear. We did everything. And, uh, This uh, radio station, let's just put it this way. I don't think that they were living up to their end of the bargain (laughs) uh, because every time, and they were doing live promotions of this on on the air while the gig was going on. Hey, come on down to Azteca, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And,
0: let, and let me just add a little bit, so as we go into the story, because if you're one of our nine listeners, if you haven't heard the mark Cotto episode yet, we set up all of the equipment. Yeah, The turntables were there. Our music was there. Our system was there. And at that point in time, I think Mark had some 18-inch cabinets that he had. It was thumping, crossed over the whole nine. It was a party, too. You were working that day, and you showed up afterwards. Your shift gets off at about nine o'clock at...
1: Yeah, when I was working. Yeah, at DPS, so you so. came
0: afterwards. Yeah, so we were doing our thing and uh, playing the music, mixing the music. We had the ongoing music flow happening, and we were playing, you know, a progressive format of club music and the hits, making sure that people were up. And it, it was, and we were doing our thing. We were experienced at doing these parties, and they came in and said, "Oh, this is great. Yeah, um, do you mind if we put our flyers up and um, and and we can t- and and." This is the point when you intervened and you said, yeah, that's fine. As long as you mention us on the radio.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So that was part of the deal. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're going to give you some, some free advertisement and stuff. And that was part of the, the deal with the collaboration and they agreed to it. Well, every time that they came on and did a live radio thing, they didn't mention us at all. And they actually perpetrated as if it was their party. Yeah, and and it wasn't their We're we're
0: down here kicking it as the Mexican restaurant. Say de Mayo. Yeah, yeah. Do a little Wolfman Jack for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're blowing up the spot. Come on down.
1: And, you know, they'd probably gone through like four or five of these radio breaks and these promotions after I showed up and was listening to each one of these. And the only thing I didn't hear was Wall Jam Productions in there. (laughs) So Or even a shout out to like, we'd like to
0: thank Wall Jam Productions for their system and and DJ Mark Cotto, DJ and DJ Parasty. We got DJ Dez with us. Dez, what do you think's up tonight?
1: Nothing. nothing. We got no play at all on the radio. Zero. And I started getting, you know, every, as each one of these radio breaks uh, passed, I got more and more angry with it. And uh, <laughs> frustrated. I don't know. No, it was anger. <laughs> And so uh, eventually, uh, you know, I got on the mic and I, I basically said, in no way, shape or form are we affiliated with K. K was cube 93. (laughs) Is that who it was back then at in no way, shape or form. Are we affiliated with cube 93? We are wall jam productions, blah, blah, blah. I don't know all the things I said. I don't quite remember it, but uh, yeah, I, yeah. It was it you know, and it's one you of know, those I'm things. I'm gonna I'm gonna paint this picture a
0: little bit more as we talked about equipment. We also rolled with cordless mics. And at that point in time, they weren't inexpensive.
1: No, they're they, expensive. What yeah. do you
0: think about four four hundred or five hundred dollars for a yeah. wireless setup? Something like that. And yeah. Mark had it racked up and he had his sure cordless mic. And the Cube Radio DJs were walking around with our microphone on the floor saying, we really got it going on down here tonight. You should come join (laughs) us down here at the the Mexican Cinco de Mayo Jam. We're kicking it live. (laughs) And Dean is starting to get a little red in the face. Once again, (laughs) nothing said about thanks to Wall Jam for providing the system. We got DJ Psychato laying the cuts. Nothing. Nada. Zero. So that's why Mark, knowing you, he loves that story because you got on the mic and you said, we are in no way affiliated with Cube 93. (laughs) (laughs) Me me and Mark are standing back. We're looking at each other. and actually almost tears of joy are coming out of our face because you're cracking us up.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I just, that kind of thing is really kind of common in that industry Because everybody is kind of a self-promoter. Yeah. And and, in the entertainment industry in general, I think it's probably like that. But especially in that industry, it's really like that. There's a lot of self-promoting BS that goes on. Wedding wedding shows that we (laughs) went to. I remember one. I'll tell the story real quick. Not to keep... uh, No, it's okay. So... Uh, Part of the, uh, the other part of the DJ mobile DJ life is that is promoting your business. And so one way of doing this is going to wedding shows. And we went to a lot of wedding shows and they usually, you know, they're like in the springtime sometime because people, most people get married during the summer. And so the wedding shows, you know, are these places where there's mobile DJs, there's, uh, you know, the flower people, the photographers, uh, the caterers, uh, anything associated with the wedding business, and it is a gigantic business. Uh, make no mistake about it. Um, but you know, one of them that we did, I don't, and I think it was, it might have been at the Washington State Convention oh, Center. Yeah. it's right when the convention center first opened. Yeah, so it's this big giant convention center, and people that live in Seattle, it's it's the reason why I five gets. Gets blocked in both directions, like every rush hour, because they built it over the freeway. Excellent city planning. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. So anyway, we're uh, at this wedding show, and we've got our cards out. We've got our setup there, and we're talking to people. They come up, hey, what do you do, and blah, 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 and we give them the flyer and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) And some dude walks up. He's one of those guys that smiles but is looking at you like a predator. So he's smiling while looking at you like a predator at the same time. And hi, how you doing? (laughs) Like this. The eyes aren't smiling, only the teeth are showing. Dean is smiling and shaking his hand towards Yeah, hey, how you doing? I'm uh, John Blah Blah from uh, Blah Blah Productions. (laughs) How you doing today? Um, What this guy is doing is he was going around and trying to poach DJs from other mobile DJ businesses. Hey, you know, if I, I've got a few extra gigs, you know, can you, would you be interested in doing uh, working, coming and working for me? It's like, well, dude, you know, why would I work for you when I go work for myself and make twice as much money? I'm not going to do that. But yet again, he didn't, didn't stop him. I try, I do probably went around to every single oh, yeah. outfit and was trying to, to get the thing. And for him, it's a, it's complete profit. Because if you're running the business and you have a stable of DJs and you're parceling them out, you're taking the money and you're paying the DJ, every guy that he can get on the hook, that's another you know, $200 in his pocket for basically just saying, hey, here's an address. Go grab your own gear. Yeah. He wasn't providing the gear either. That was the other part of it. He wanted you to take your gear, your music, your time, your gas, everything. You go out here and I'll give you a few bucks. You know that's it's that shows you the snakier side of the business. Yeah, we're 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 not jaded. We're, we're not jaded. <laughs> so it's part of it's part of the business. So that it's the kind of things that you got to you got to deal with. So with that
0: being said, let's talk about some good times that we had. Then I remember this clearly because I was filming that night, and it was a a night that I was off. I wasn't playing in the club or playing a mobile. And you had secured a Christmas party for a friend of yours that... Did he used to work at UPS?
1: Yeah, he was a UPS
0: guy also. Yeah, so he was a UPS guy. Oh, so it was a friend of his that was having the party. And he recommended... He had two jobs. Cool. Yeah. And he played in a band. And he
1: played in a band.
0: Life ring. He was a big... Throwing it out there, life ring. Life ring. He was a big Stevie Ray Fawn fan. I yeah. can remember that. And he a uh, really cool guy, and you can get into that. So it was a Kent Valley Industrial Park, and it was in a warehouse. And what was really cool about this, and you can expand on the story, is that I can remember him saying, Dean, I really want you to have a good time tonight too, so I want to make sure that you play music that you want to hear as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so uh, Dave Peterson... Uh if he was listening to this, I, I would laugh because it's just weird. I hope he does. Yeah, that would be cool if he did hear his name, uh, you know, 30 years later, he's hearing his name called on, on some, on a podcast. Um, but, uh, Dave Peterson was a cool guy. He was a guitar player. His uh, hero was Stevie Ray Vaughan, which in my estimation is probably the greatest guitar player that's ever lived at least in the modern era. Not maybe not classical, but modern guitar. Uh, Dave, uh, I I used to give him rides home and and we'd, we would hang out after work and stuff. And at this point in time, it, this was probably about uh, 91-ish, I'm getting. 91, 92, 90, 91-ish, somewhere around in there. And uh, we had been in the mobile DJ business at least five or six years at this point. And, uh, you know, I had started to get a little tired of dealing with the mother of the bride and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, tearing down gigs at two o'clock in the morning, lugging gear at two in the morning, getting home at four, having your ears ringing and stuff like that. So I was kind of getting tired. I started transitioning musically out of, you know, as we talked about previously in the, in the first part, uh, uh, I had talked about, uh, you know, how I, how my musical tastes were, Kind of, I needed to hear new stuff on yeah. a regular basis. I get tired of, and this is just not music, it's everything. I get tired of things quickly. I don't watch movies over and over. A lot of people do that kind of stuff. If I see something once, okay, I've seen it, I move on to something else. I need new material, new creative. You need to be stimulated. New, yeah, new stimulation, uh, creative stimulation. So I had been uh, really getting into uh, some alternative kind of, things, and shout out to John Larson again.
0: John Larson, just a quick side note, is that John Larson went to school with us at Glacier High School, and I'm looking at my notes here, and I wrote down something about Wall Jam 4, and you filmed Wall Jam 4. I I mean, once again, to our nine listeners, if you want to look that up on YouTube, I think that we had a stream party one night where we all watched it. So John Larson was at Wall Jam 4, and if you saw Wall Jam 4, there was a scene where, once again, Terry Hildebrand is being brought up. Terry had his Macintosh computer. He had his full rack of equipment. And you were behind him filming. And you said, look at this guy. He's got hair like a lion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we always laugh about when we see that. He is a rock god. He's a and, rock god. And, and and a keyboard and computer wizard. Yeah. So at that party John Larson, our good buddy from high school was there, and you were talking to John, and Terry, and the reason why I brought Terry up cuz Terry always has a famous quote he says, "Dean was always opposite of us. When we had long hair, he had short hair." Yeah. But when we had short hair or no hair, Dean has long hair. Yeah. And yeah. so so there was a story that you recently told me about Wall Jam 4 that John Larson who you're going to get into with the electronic body music yeah. e- electronic music said something to you at Wall Jam 4 about getting a haircut.
1: It wasn't at Wall Jam 4 that he said that. Okay. So it was like it was on or about that time or maybe even the next day or something. We had gone down to uh Renton Beach, Gene Coulon Park in Renton, Washington. And uh, we were playing volleyball and it got to be about four o'clock or something like that. And I said, Oh, I, dude, I got to go, man. I got to. He goes, What for? I go, "Uh, You know, I, I have an appointment. I got to get my hair cut. And he looked at me and he, and he says, What for? <laughs> and so it kind of stuck him. I was like, I didn't have a response to it. I didn't, I had no rational response, which is had, rare for you. Yeah. And I had no reason to cut my hair and it stuck in my head. And at that point I started, I just let my hair grow. I didn't get a haircut for like another 20 years after that. <laughs> Literally I had super long hair, but it all kind of that whole thing. And the John Larson musical influence also Getting back to the electronic. Music. Yeah. Because I was hanging out with John and he was into all kinds of different kind of dance music and alternative stuff, which kind of fed into my need for more newer stuff and more creativity. And that kind of sparked a transition out of the DJ thing and playing the Dirty Dozen and playing the top 40 and all that stuff. And so at the same time, I was hanging out with David Peterson and, uh, so Dave Peterson, I'd give him a ride home and he'd be in the car with me. And I, I was playing stuff, Nitzer Ebb, and all this stuff and Front Peter two, four, Murphy, two. Bauhaus and all kinds of uh, kind of really cool stuff. Front 242 was in there and I'd been making mixes. You know, this is what I was using my turntables for now was mixing and doing kind of this stuff and and uh, playing this different music that I couldn't play in a club and I couldn't play at a mobile because it's too far out there. So David Peterson hears this song, and it's Hearts and Minds by Nitzer Ebb. And uh, he's like, oh, man, that is really cool because it, it's a pretty simple song. But it's also doing something extreme because there's a lot of chanting going on in it. And he goes, hey, man, he goes, you know, we're having a Christmas party at my other job. You want to play it? And I was like, this is a perfect opportunity because I can go down there. I can play my music, what I want to play. Because he said, I'm giving you carte blanche to play whatever you want. The crowd is going to be really cool because they're all kind of the same age and they're all kind of the same mindset. So you could play whatever you want and you can have a good time. And I was like, this is perfect.
0: Yeah, so I want to add there's something that you said because I was at this event and the key that you just said was mindset. Yeah. So as we've told these stories about um, crowds, there there was a pretty eclectic crowd. They were all over the map, age wise, dress wise, and I can never forget this because we're we're gonna play the song, but we want to describe a little bit about it. So in the song, he's saying, "You, I saw you," and it <laughs> it, it repeats over and over. The repetition of EBM music and. Dave and his friend, his, I think it was a bandmate, was sitting on a chair, like the steel chairs that you would see in a cafeteria. They pulled up, they were sitting on the high end of the chair, the back of the chair, facing each other, just pointing at each other. You I saw you. And it was and then the other people that were at the party were still dancing. Yeah. But you did to to set it up, because we've been talking about this in previous episodes. Is that you came out of Word Up, which would be, uh, you know, you could say it was a dirty dozen song. It's just a classic, great song that's gonna get people up. And it has a classic
1: dance kind of groove. Sure, and it worked across the board. Yeah, foolproof.
0: And it has a very similar kick pattern and tempo of Hearts and Mind. And you played Word Up and mixed into Hearts and Mind, held the floor. And I'll never forget the dude that was dressed in the white business shirt, red tie. And he was, while while Dave and his friend was pointing at each other, he was also flicking
1: his hand to the <laughs> side. You! I saw you! So the other thing, too, is for a DJ, the best thing that could happen is for people to get drunk. Because <laughs> it, it, it lessens the inhibitions. <laughs> and, you know, uh, people are more opt to just get out there and party that kind of thing you always want to see a good loose crowd because you can do you can get away with a lot of stuff you can play what you want to hear which always makes the gig more fun for for the dj so we're gonna kick into this give you a little picture and not a little sonic picture actually
0: So you're kicking it off with Word Up by Cameo.
1: Yeah. It's always cool. If you're going to drop something new on somebody, you want to start off with something that they already know. Yep. You got you got a dance floor. The, the chairs hadn't been pulled
0: out yet, though. <laughs> yeah. They're they're just dancing, doing their thing. Like, yeah, yeah, this guy's got it
1: going on. Didn't you film this thing? Yeah. We have it somewhere. got to pull we it, it out of the archives. Cause it's funny. The guy with the glasses, the guy with the suit and tie on. Dancing next to the guy with the t-shirt and ripped jeans. And Dave and his buddy. Yeah. Here
0: comes the ebb. Stairs are being pulled out to the, middle of the dance floor. ain't no square cow fun bar
1: (laughs) we had touched on the 120 bpm earlier it's a good example of it You pointing now you. the whole crowd pointing at each other
0: yeah i gotta say that the energy of dave and his
1: buddy you know here's the thing about that particular party in that mix is that there are very few times where you break something new on a mobile yeah that people haven't heard before and it actually takes the, the dance floor to another level even though the, you know damn well that the people had pro- 99% of them have never yeah. heard that. Maybe all of them. Yeah. But it's such a good groove and it takes it takes the energy up a notch and it actually ignited the crowd and the whole crowd during that song they were doing what Dave and his buddy were doing everybody started pointing at each other. You! <laughs> you! I saw you. <laughs> And it's, we were it, laughing. Me and Nels were laughing. We had a good time at that at, at that mobile. It was great. It was yeah. one of the
0: mobile highlights. Yeah, you for know, sure. it was one of our one of our fondest stories. Goes to show you, it's the people at the party that make a difference. Yeah, and their openness, and they were just having a good time.
1: And How much alcohol they were drinking?
0: Yeah, it, and it was a Christmas party, and they were cut loose. But it was one of the things that was sparked by your friends. And I, I'm sorry to keep touching on that, but it was his drive that made that happen. Yeah. And he was like I want you to play what song is important to you. You know what? You and know I why? I saw
1: you do yeah. it. You know why he was sitting down? It's because he had broken his oh, leg. That's right. He was on crutches. He had a cast on his leg and yeah. I just now that you're we're talking about it the the image comes back to me. I forgot about that. But he was still dancing with a broken leg on a chair. Yeah.
0: And and having fun and, and having laughing. a good time. Yeah. yeah. So just going to break off a little Nespod facts with the EBM electronic body music, a genre of electronic music that was developed in the early 1980s in Western Europe. It combines sequenced repetitious bass lines, programmed dance music, rhythms and mostly undistorted vocals and command like shouts with confrontational or profound provocative themes. Yeah. I saw you. Yeah. (laughs) Industrial, synth punk, post-punk, synth pop, Berlin school, disco, electronic dance music, cultural origins, 1980s, Western Europe, Germany, Belgium, and the Netherlands. Derivative forms: new beat, electro-industrial, dark electro, techno. Kind of a precursor to techno techno
1: yeah for sure hardcore absolutely
0: check out this term
1: go trance yeah
0: and future pop
1: that all that kind of stuff this this the industrial kind of uh sound that was made famous by these guys you know ministry uh you know nitsereb front 242 there's a litany of these kind of bands that are kind of, they were kind of underground. They get played a lot in underground clubs. Uh, Nitzer Ebb, the first time I heard him was in a club in downtown Seattle in Belltown. And this guy played, it, it was murderous, and we kicked the last podcast off with this song. <laughs> and uh, it immediately grabbed me because it's such a, it's such a great groove. It's got so much hook to it. And that kind of sparked a little bit of this in me. And then, the Larson John Larson connection. He was into this kind of stuff too, and that kind of kind of pushed me in this direction too.
0: You know, when 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 I read that that off, just a quick synopsis, and then listening to you talk about it, it kind of reminded me of, say, for example, Pet Shop Boys, yeah, uh, New Order, and
1: the one that sticks out the most probably is Depeche Mode. Yeah, Depeche Mode is you, also, you know, they're they're uh, a little more commercial. And a little more accessible to the masses. I mean, obviously, Depeche Mode is a gigantic, you know, hit-making machine. But uh, in those days, it was still kind of cutting edge. Just
5: the term, person.
0: Jesus (laughs)
1: Jesus <laughs> Personal Jesus
0: So that song right there reminds me of being at a nightclub under the monorail, downtown Seattle. Oh, yeah. Obviously, younger. But when that, that, when that song came on, they had sandboxes in the club. Yeah. And you were in the sandbox. Yep. Leaned up against the wall.
1: With and, Myron.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's right. You know, we, and speaking of the wedding shows, that's where we met Myron. So yeah. Going, not to keep jumping around, but going back to that. So we were hanging out with a buddy of ours, Myron Partman. And when you were had your arms up against the wall, very reminiscent of a cross <laughs> that you might see in a religious building. And I, I don't think you were really moving, but personal Jesus was sparking that emotion out of you.
1: <laughs> That's probably more alcohol at that point.
3: <laughs> it yeah.
0: helps the party.
1: <laughs> we were having a good time.
0: All right, well, we're going to keep this theme going on. Uh, and go into segue into a Nest Pod feature of the lyrical breakdown. And I'm introducing um, a new jingle.
8: It's the lyrical breakdown
0: made by Fega Michaels coming out of uh, Nigeria. Oh.
8: Y'all, uh, I listen. My name is Vega Michael To catch up with my speed eh? You gon' need to buy bands To come inside my territory You gon' need a license To understand my rap You gon' need to have sense uh. It's the Lyrical Break down, bringing you huts and breaks down. I'm the girl from Jake Town. Were well, you you, break right, bound? Nest part digging. Uh, clock is ticking. Uh, we we'll be rapping words, make it sweet. Tongue licking. Uh, Nest part digging. Uh, clock is ticking. Uh, we we'll be rapping words, make it sweet. Tongue licking. Uh, Easter lyrical breakdown. That's right. rock. Uh-huh. Nest part. Hey, Jamal. You go need a license to understand my rap. Con, you go need to have sense. Ay, ah. It's the lyrical breakdown nest part.
0: I'm going to let you take over on this because this is another EBM song front 242 and uh how do you want to get into this? You want to do you, you want to talk about the song first and then play it?
1: Uh, you know, uh a lot of these uh a lot of these songs are European and some of them are Eastern European, some of them are German, and so I think a lot of the 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 songs may be kind of dance oriented, but the in, the whole industrial music thing was kind of a remnant of the Cold War era and the you know the post World War II kind of a conflict in Eastern European countries. And uh, I think a lot of the, the, a lot of them deal with uh, heavy-handed government and things like that. And I think, you know, as far as uh, Front 242 and, and Nitzer Ebb, uh, Front 242 was a little more industrial. And other bands like Ministry, Elaine Jorgensen is, a, is a, one of the guys who was basically is Ministry. But these guys were really kind of coming from a standpoint of being anti-corporate anti uh heavy-handed government because that's what they were experiencing you know the the iron curtain was still up there the berlin wall was still up at this time and uh you know there was a lot of government oppression of the people and this was kind of an outlet that's where this this whole industrial thing kind of came from but you can go ahead and roll the the song uh yeah i did so we
0: pulled some quotes from the internet You want to read those quotes first, or you want to cover those after the song?
1: Well, just play the song, and then we'll, you know... Here we go. Front 242, Headhunter. And the hook is there, right off the bat. Synth bass, brother. Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of get where, where that's going musically. Uh, I think the the bigger message in that song is, it's kind of dealing with uh, the the cutlet, the your cutthroat kind of ruthless, uh, corporate kind of mentality. So you got to understand it. You know, when you're in your early twenties, you're really not part of the corporate <laughs> thing, and the machine. Yeah. By the time you get to thirty, you're kind of in there. So. You know, people who are younger, you guys understand this. Even today, you know, this would this you could plug this song in. This is thirty years later. You could plug this song in. It's to still 20, relevant. Yeah, to twenty twenty one, and it's still relevant. The message, um, and you know, a lot of these songs are kind of dealing with the same kind of theme about how, uh, you know, the 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 corporate world, and you know, it's also has to do with with government kind of corporate kind of uh uh you know, one hand feeds the other and it's the system, you know, which is a common theme in in modern music. It's the system is kind of oppressing us, the angsty kind of thing that which go which comes down the pipe here with with, you know, a lot of today's music and You know, this was kind of the genesis of this, these kinds of songs in in the industrial kind of music thing.
0: You're setting it up for a new podcast that could be coming your way, Rants with (laughs) Dez. So let's break it down with the lyrical breakdown. It's
8: the lyrical breakdown.
0: Just bits and pieces of a headhunter. I'm looking for this man to sell him to other men. One, you lock the target. Two, you bait the line. Three, you slowly spread the net. And four, you catch the man spread the net, and catch the man. Yeah. Okay, so let's pull some of those quotes that we have from the internet, (laughs) Um, and then I'm going to give you the final say on this this segment of the lyrical breakdown. Off the internet, songmeanings.com. It's about businesses cherry-picking who they wish to employ, another person. I can buy it as criticism of capitalism in that it's an indictment of the corporate hiring practices. The synthesized didgeridoo that makes up the bass line is one of my favorite instrument sounds ever. Another guy. An, uh, another person. <laughs> it seems to be more about corporate slavery, about how wage earners are nothing more than numbers to corporate businesses that aren't afraid to cut and buy, sell people's lives for the bottom line of a few extra cents per share. Yeah. Now it comes to my favorite quote. I used to dance to this song and loved it. Then I heard it at the strip club. Now
1: I really love it. Peace! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's this kind of song, is a, it, lyrically, it's a pretty good example. And sonically, it's a pretty good example of that whole kind of industrial kind of music thing.
0: Yep. Okay, so moving into corporate world, because uh, we're going we're gonna to do another lyrical breakdown here. And uh, this is a shout out to our GHS fellow classmates. In my mind, Kevin Kosky invented social media. When you would go to his house in the early 80s, he had a board on his wall, and you never know what you would find on that wall. It could be a copy from the local 7-Eleven, The Enquirer, UFOs have landed, aliens are now here. <laughs> it might be Tammy Faye Baker crying. With, and obviously there would be something written on there. Uh, maybe the truth about Punky Brewster. You just never know what you're going to get. But it was hilarious. I, I can recall walking into his house, going through the kitchen, and then looking at what the board was. With uh, Kevin being in that house, there was also a friend of ours who lived with him, was uh, Harlan Odegaard. We're going to get into another lyrical breakdown. It's
8: the lyrical breakdown. Rap can come. It's the lyrical breakdown. Yeah. Dig it. You gonna need to have sense It's the rap Can't come It's the Lyrical Breakdown
0: Okay, Lyrical Breakdown Part 2 So I'm not even gonna talk about this song Until I play the first version Another classic MTV era <laughs> song Let's listen to the a cappella <laughs> of Klaus Mein. Probably a pretty hard German accent, if you will.
5: Just want you to know. Let go. I really had a black hole. Let go. I really had a black hole. I had a black I really had a black hole. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know I might I might do that in reverse
1: but And that's why he lost his voice eventually. Anyway, <laughs> okay,
0: so our friend Harlan had said to you, "I really like this song by the Scorpions."
1: And you said, "Oh, which song is that?" And he goes, "Play golf." Oh. And I thought, what? What are you talking about? He goes, yeah, play golf, you know, play golf. I go, what do you, t- play golf? What song are you talking about? He goes, oh, yeah. And I, I don't know if he went and got it and played it or whatever, but it was Blackout by the Scorpions. <laughs> I'm thinking,
5: <laughs> play golf. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> and, it, it was on MTV every hour, so yeah, that's yeah, probably where he was That's probably where he got it from. He's thinking, <laughs> they're, he's thinking they're singing play golf, <laughs> It's a, yeah, it totally makes sense, Ode no problem. All right so I'm gonna give you Odegaard's version
5: Play go Play go Play go I really had to play go Play go Play go Play <laughs> go had to play go Play go Play golf Play go. <laughs> I really had to play golf, baby
0: <laughs> Yeah Okay, so in Odegaard's defense yeah. I'm gonna play that acapella one more time <laughs> And listen to Klaus mine, And you can see why he got that confused It's a lyrical breakdown
5: Just want you to know Play I really had to play So,
0: so what did Odegaard say to you when you told him that I think it's blackout?
1: He said, "No, it's play golf." <laughs> he was adamant about it. It was play golf. That's it. To give him the benefit of the doubt. Now. So people that don't know, the Scorpions were a German band. And their singer, Klaus Meinny, was, uh, you know, he had a real kind of inflection in his voice. And there was definitely a German accent in what he was saying. So that's why it kind of sounds, it doesn't sound like he's saying, black out. He's saying, black out, <laughs> so, black, black, out! black out, black out. And he, so he's just pronouncing English as a German speaking you know, person he's singing English as a German speaking person. And so you could see where he kind of got the idea of but it's just it's one of the more extreme kind of uh lyrical miscomprehension kind of things that we've come across.
0: Hey from. man, sometimes you just gotta play golf. I mean, I, I, think, I think that's, you know, just a commonality. I
1: really should. had to play golf, baby. That's
0: right. Sometimes <laughs> you just got to go to the driving range. <laughs> and play golf. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to sneak on at Rainier at 7 o'clock at night. Just do your thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> baby.
8: It's the Lyrical Breakdown.
0: All right, we're going to go one more breakdown since we uh, premiered Fega Michaels and her new jingle. One more for you, because I know it's a song that you're fond of.
3: And gets the seven digits, huh? You know the routine. You're the type of guy that tells us stay inside while you're steady frontin' And your homeboys ride. I'm the type of guy that comes when you leave. <laughs> I'm doing your girlfriend. That's something you can't believe. Cause I'm that type of guy.
1: Oh, yeah, a little cool, Jay.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I included that because it's, it's for one, I know that you like it, but it's also kind of a sign of bringing it around full circles that it was not that it's like a groundbreaking or different song, but it was so unique that it caught your attention. Oh, yeah.
1: That, that bass line is nasty, man. And just the it's concept just, of the just song. So, it's just so underhanded. That is a, that is a beautiful composition. Especially when you incorporate the lyrics into it, because it's just, it's all about being underhanded. You know, I, and actually, I tell you the story of there was a gal that uh, used to work at UPS, and I gave her a ride home one time, and I was playing this in my car. Can't remember the girl's name. I'm sorry. Total apologies. She's probably listening. Yeah, she's probably listening, as many people do. Uh, but uh, so I gave her a ride home, and I, and I, I'm playing this LL Cool J. You know, it's probably one of my mixtapes. It probably was something I mixed for, out of something else. And because we used to do that all the time. Uh, but I was playing it and she was listening to the lyrics like intently. And LL, LL Cool J does a really good job of enunciating and pronouncing in this song so it's really easy to hear what he's saying and he's telling a story about what type of a guy he is and she's listening to every word I don't think she's ever heard this song before which is kind of funny I mean obviously we're playing new songs because we're DJs we're getting it before other people but uh, she's listening to it and there's a part in the song where LL Cool J goes I'm the type of guy that leaves my drawers in your hamper (laughs) and she heard that and she went What? Oh, something like that. I never forget it. It was so funny. It's cool to turn people on to new music like that. That's a lyrical
0: breakdown right Oh, yeah, it
1: is. Say what? I'm the type of guy that leaves my drawers in your hamper. Come on, dude.
0: (laughs) We took a short break, but we're back. We're going to just touch on the Seattle scene a little bit since both Dean and I are from Seattle, born and raised. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into a little bit of Soundgarden. But before I play the song, what do you have to say about Soundgarden and the Seattle scene in general?
1: Well, yeah, you know, Seattle has always been a uh, kind of a sonically and musically. It's always been kind of isolated from the mainstream. People from Seattle have been really kind of uh, eclectic in their musical tastes. And And because geographically... You know, we're up in the Pacific Northwest, and the music scene is generally in New York and L.A., uh, at least traditionally, you know, with the digital age now, it's kind of spread out.
0: You got the Dirty South making some waves now.
1: Yeah. And there's, you know, there's been hotbeds, Austin, you know, Miami, obviously Nashville and all that kind of stuff, and Detroit back in the O-Town. 60s, the Motown thing, which is a whole other thing segment uh, for a podcast. Yeah. And it's not really nothing that needs to be brought up cuz it speaks for itself, but Seattle in the 80s and even in back going back to the 70s, I think the Louie Louie thing, there is uh, there's all kinds of like really kind of uh, Seattle centric stuff. And obviously the big gigantic one out of them is the grunge era and which really started uh, in the 80s in the early 80s it didn't hit big until about 1990 91 92 93 when a lot of major acts came out you know obviously nirvana being the probably the most recognizable one and and probably the linchpin of the whole thing that started out you know with smells like teen spirit but even before nirvana there was a lot of stuff going on uh that kind of paved the way for that. A lot of bands like Green River and uh, bands like that that really kind of paved the way for the whole Seattle sound thing. Um, anyway, uh, Alice in Chains, obviously. Yeah, you, know, you got some ties about, to Alice in Chains. yep, yeah, we talked about that in a previous podcast. One of the bands that really stuck with me kind of coming out of this industrial thing was Soundgarden. Soundgarden is really a, a band that its roots are in punk probably more than anything, but punk and, and really hard, heavy, they're not heavy metal, but they're they're really got that hard-edged sound, and that that kind of became the grunge sound. Alice in Chains kind of had that same kind of vibe going, but a lot of the Seattle bands have that same kind of vibe, which sprung out of the gloominess of Seattle. Yeah. The, the you know the six months of clouds and drizzle that we get every year in you Seattle. You have
0: to be in Seattle to understand that.
1: Yeah, and the people you know they're sitting in their basement. It's gloomy outside, and that's why you get this kind of sound that is really
0: piercing,
1: piercing and low vibe. And uh, Soundgarden is it for sure for me. It's a song called Slaves and Bulldozers off their Bad Motor Finger album.
0: headphones on you can really hear the work that they did in the studio it's
1: unbelievable it's an immaculate production that whole album is immaculate from the first song to the end of it and it's full of just beautifully written songs uh, composed and performed and these guys you know for me obviously everybody's every band and every favorite band is kind of subjective but these guys were really, to me, the best band that came out of that whole Seattle scene. And the reason primarily is Chris Cornell. The talent level. The talent level of Chris Cornell is off the charts.
0: Rest in peace.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we were talking about it earlier, how the, how this business eats a person up and spits them out. And he actually died in a hotel room, yeah. like we've heard before, Michael Hutchins. from In Excess, and this is something that's happened to many artists over the years, you know. Uh, Anyway, Chris Cornell, coming from that straight-up blues thing, this song, Slaves and Bulldozers, kind of encapsulates the whole Seattle sound in a nutshell Yeah, because it's got that bass line that is just, it's keeping you anchored at the floor level. Boom! 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 boom doo, 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 doo. And it's it's holding you. It's pulling you. It's sucking you down. Yeah, the Piercing thing we yeah. talked about. And then you got tasteful guitar licks in there that are screeching, that are kind of, you know, they're kind of they clawing at, at you. Yeah. And then you also, ha- and then here comes Chris Cornell with this piercing vocal ability. He's all the way down here. Now, and then the he's here. so high that I can't even get close to replicating his his yeah. range. But he is sonically, there's a part in that song that wasn't played in that song, but he takes his vocal from, you think he's at the top of his range and he peaks out probably another octave yeah. above that and comes down flawlessly, no cracking of his voice or nothing. The guy was a, was a serious talent. He wrote, Ninety percent of the songs for the band, also. So, Chris Cornell, you know, one of the things that that really struck me was I was listening to an interview with with the producer, uh, one of the guys who had actually done uh, some of the Soundgarden albums, and the the thing that he said about Cornell is that he would get everything in one take. Now. Wow, To a a layperson, that might sound like, well, so what? What does that mean? Well, what that means is that everybody who records or has ever recorded anything, what you hear on a record is usually probably 20 takes at least to get something to sound exactly like what the producer is trying to get out of that whatever, if it's a a guitar solo, if it's a drum solo, especially vocals. Because to create a hit song or to create a song and make it sound just that way that hooked somebody's brain into the song, you have to do a whole number of takes. It's like photography. You got to take a hundred photos to get that one shot. And that's what they do on a regular basis. That's standard procedure for in the recording industry. This, this producer said that Chris Cornell would get pretty much everything in one take, And oftentimes he would do more than one take just because, you know, it's like, Oh, I better just do another one just in case, you know? So that's one of the things that showed you how, what a freakish talent this guy was. The other thing too, for people who are really curious as to really see what this guy could do with his voice, especially in his younger years where, where he was young and still flexible, he was a young lion, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you go to YouTube and you type in Chris Cornell at his vocal peak. And I believe it's taken from a shoot show, which I was actually at. Nice. And listen to this. So this is a tragic part. I left before <laughs> Soundgarden got on because I think they were the last act.
0: What were you thinking?
1: I have no idea, dude. This was before Soundgarden was like really on my radar. I mean, I'd heard of them and I, they'd gotten quite a bit of buzz. But you know how bumper shoot is. You listen to a whole bunch of bands and you're going, hey, we got to go over there. So for some stupid reason, I left. But I believe this was from that bumper shoot. And this happened after I left. So here's a quick snippet of that. So go to uh, Chris Cornell at his vocal peak on YouTube and listen to what he could do with his exceptional range and his, his just the ability to do something and sound almost inhuman. The fantastic guy, man, fantastic talent. Chris Cornell and that whole that whole sound, but it's mainly Soundgarden for me and that whole Seattle sound kind of transitioned me out of that 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 EBM. Uh, sure. You know, That kind of thing, and that's when I really got in. That's when my by the by the way, that's when my hair got super long Uh, because that was right (laughs) before the John Larson Cornell, yeah, yeah,
0: (laughs) cross between Jesus and Chris Cornell.
1: Well, you know, uh, (laughs) for me, you know, there's been a lot of really talented musicians that have come out of Seattle, but to me, Chris Cornell it was is is at the top of the list. as far as a singer, just as, as singing ability, later he went to play with the guys from, uh, uh, former guys from Rage Against the Machine and formed Audio Slave, which was super successful also, which is really kind of a cool thing. That, uh, but as far as that whole scene, I think he's from Seattle. He's probably, for me, at the top of the talent list. And that's including Jimi Hendrix, which I'm not giving any slight to because Jimi was probably the most influential modern guitarist of of the modern age as far as rock and roll coming out of Seattle also.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I pulled one more song from Chris Cornell, something that he recorded later on in his career, just to give an example of the diversity of his talent level.
7: She was more like a beauty queen from a movie screen Said, don't mind, well, what do you mean? I am the one who would dance on the floor and around She says I am the one Who would dance on the floor and
0: around It takes a lot to pull off a Michael Jackson cover And do it this well
7: She said her name was Billie Jean And she caused the scene and every head turned with eyes to dream Being the one Would dance on the floor and around.
0: I'm getting a nod from Dez over here.
7: People always told me be careful what you do. Don't go around breaking young girls' hearts. Mother always told me, be careful who you love. Careful what you do before the lie becomes the truth. But the kid isn't got my son What you listening to?
8: I wanna know. Hey mister, what you listening to? LP, twelve inch,
5: cassette, eight track.
8: LP on cassette, tell me, the music that you're into, I wanna know,
5: um, my love, I wanna know, is it LP, FB3 or streaming?
8: is it rock, R&B, funk, disco?
0: to DJ des what you listening to
1: so yeah I don't really listen to a whole lot of new music and we as we talked about in part one you know the the creativity level to me is just not really where it's at for me now I just hear a lot of derivative stuff so not bagging on anybody or anything like that people do what you want to do and keep it flowing that's cool if people are listening to it people are liking it that you know it is what it is Uh You know, I listen to a lot of spoken word stuff now. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I will give props to three bands. All right. Okay. Over the last probably 30 years, I will give props to three bands. Rammstein. It's a German band. Okay. It's very popular. People know it. Google it. Well, Google it, yeah. Uh, I got to give props to three bands over the last 30 years. All right. Uh, you know, there's more than that, obviously, but Rammstein, which is a German band who sing in German, but they put on some really crazy shows. Google it. They're really cool. They're kind of a, a hard kind of metal, uh, but sonically and rhythmically, they're pretty, they're pretty cool. And they're, they're gigantic. They're a worldwide gigantic sensation. They're cool because they're doing something that nobody's done before. You got to watch them. If you if people who know them, they know uh they've been around for quite a while uh i'll give props to radiohead uh i'm a creep we heard back in the (laughs) 90s you know this is kind of came out of that post grunge kind of thing but radiohead has been consistently a super innovative band throughout the years and they're still going strong uh as far as the third one tool <laughs> Tool is is the other band that has consistently produced, and uh, Maynard, their singer, you're talking about eclectic stuff. This guy is is he's a genius level dude. He was in the military, and I saw these guys. I saw Tool at one of the. Uh, I went to uh, uh, one of the Lollapaloozas at uh, I think it was at the Gorge. One year, and this probably would have been about 92, and I saw the, and Lollapalooza has more than one stage. There's like two or three or four stages, and so there's bands playing at all these stages. So the main stage wasn't cutting it for me, so I walked over to this other stage, and uh, there was some band playing that I'd never heard of there. It was Tool, playing there and I was like you know I'm standing there 10 feet from the stage watching these guys and I go, these guys are kind of interesting you know they're doing something a little different and this again was kind of getting into the post grunge kind of thing but they had a put kind of grungy kind of sound so it was appropriate for that time they've evolved out of that kind of sound but they've consistently broken new ground sonically it's which is really cool and their latest record is really super cool so if i'm listening to anything musically it's stuff like that Um, but primarily i'm giving props to no agenda the no agenda show is a a two guys who uh talk about current events and stuff and yeah now that i'm an old guy i'm a little more (laughs) concerned about those kind of things.
0: Well, let me yeah. interject just a little bit here. Yeah. So you mentioned the UPS job and you've worked at UPS for years and you do hazardous materials there. So you're pretty much left on your own. So you have a number of hours during the day that you can listen to you know, your own personal headphones and be in your own space. Yeah. So no agenda, Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak. So Adam Curry of MTV fame. So, when we talked about the new music seminar and all that stuff, he was on the cusp of the MTV explosion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, Nina Blackwood, right? The, yep. What are, what are some other high there? IQ Blackwood? What was what, 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 <laughs> that? I think that might have been on the board, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Nina, high IQ Blackwood.
0: <laughs> so he, so he, so he, uh, Adam Curry was on the forefront of the, of MTV and he formed it. And they also call him the pod father. So he was in the podcast game early and um, he does a new thing that he has podcasting index.2.0. So he's really on the forefront of podcasting. And John C. Dvorak, who was a former writer for, was it PC Magazine? Yeah. And PC they,
1: World or PC Mag, one of one of those two. He was an editorial. He wasn't uh, had the editorial column and all that kind of stuff for many years. So their whole thing is that they, if you're tired of mainstream media, they deconstruct the
0: news and they do. It's a podcast twice a week, Thursdays and Sundays. On the show, they use a term called "hit in the mouth," and you hit me in the mouth a couple of years ago. And I really, during the pandemic, I really got into it, and I've been listening to and downloading the show. And I also do artwork, uh, cover art for the show. And it's a thing that they do weekly and that you can submit your artwork. So if you are listening to the podcast, which I recommend, just listen for Nessworks. You might hear my name pop in there every once in a while.
1: Yeah. Nessworks is, uh, Nels being really, I'm going to, you know, in, in reverence to uh, the way that they like to make fun of public radio. Yeah. <laughs> Something that they do on a regular basis as far as how they mock things. Uh, yeah. So... Nels is really being, you know, modest when he says that he's has some involvement. <laughs> Speak up, brother! <laughs> <laughs> Several of his uh, artwork pieces are featured prominently as the cover art for many shows. So you got to give props. He's not going to mention that, but I'm going to mention it. So this is not, you know, this is this is not like. Uh, tit for tat or anything, my interest in Nels's interest in listening to No Agenda is strictly based on how good of a a show it is. And if you want to actually understand current events and how the media tries to manipulate current events, and you really want to get real news from many sides and get a a well-balanced take on it from two guys who have been in the business for decades and decades. Uh, this is a show to listen to, and, it, there, and it's entertaining, and it's funny Yeah, on top of it. And, and this, great information. Great information. It's, it's one of a number of podcasts that I listen to, but it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things that if you can only have one, that's oh, what I listen point. to. That's and, it.
0: And another thing is that on, on the show, one of the things that Adam is really big on is value for value. So it makes us happy to talk about it, even to give it a shout out, because if you want to check it out, the easiest way to do it would just be Google Adam Curry, no agenda. And you'll come up with the links. And if you, however, you get your podcast, just search for no agenda show and you pull it down. The other thing that I like to do is listen to the rock and roll pre show, which comes on two hours ahead of the actual podcast. So Pacific Standard Time. Now I am doing the radio thing. Yes. Pacific Standard Time, square cow fun bar. Uh, <laughs> it's so Pacific Standard Time, nine o'clock, Sundays and Thursdays. And if you want to tune into the pre show, it's it's two hours early, and it's done by a guy named Darren O'Neill. Music. And it's, it's just cool. Lots um, of cool
1: music the guy plays, and, it, and it's eclectic also, which <laughs> makes me happy. It's good.
0: Yeah. It's good information. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Uh, so with that being said, we know you're not listening to any music, but if you were listening to music, we're going to throw something in there. Uh, do you want me just to fire it off and then you could talk about it? Go ahead, all right. If you're in the car right now and you're with somebody that you might want to have some parental guidance, you might wanna turn your radio down <laughs> or your podcast player down now five, four, three, two, one it's a just guy by the name of Richard Cheese. <laughs>
2: Nick on hard So I got the black book For a freak to call Picked up the telephone And dialed the seven digits Said yo this RC baby Are you down with it I arrived at her house Knocked on the door Not having no idea What the night had in store I'm like a dog and he A freak without warning I have an appetite for sex Cause me so horny. So much I say What's wrong baby doll With a quick nut You can say I'm desperate Even call me perverted But you say I'm a dog When I leave you fucked and deserted Your dad'll be disgusted When he sees your pussy busted Your mom'll be so mad If she knew I got that ass I'm a freaking heat A dog without warning My appetite at sex Cause me so horny Section so horny. Oh, me so horny. Oh, me so horny. Oh, me so horny. We love you a long time. You said it yourself, you like it like I do. Put your lips on my dick and suck my asshole too. I'm a freaking heat, a dog without warning. My appetite is sex, cause me so horny.
1: So you know what is so funny about that? Obvious, the, the it's absurd. That's that's number 1. That's the obvious. It's a uh, remake of Two crew. Live Crew. That's Two Live Crew which is actually part of that that that
0: that era and yeah, the uh, Miami bass sound coming out oh, yeah. of Miami. Yeah.
1: Uh thing lawsuits, is lawsuits,
0: lawsuits after that. <laughs> Dade County.
1: The thing is is that Richard Cheese kind of encapsulates kind of what my attitude is towards (laughs) pop music that's a good point where he has turned it around he's because of the lack of creativity and all that kind of stuff he has turned it into something of something to mock in effect but doing it in a very uh talented way and and that's how derivative things have become which kind of wraps up the whole you know, thing about what we were talking about earlier with derivative music nowadays. Yeah. But it's funny. Okay, so
0: with my selection, I'm going to do a two-song feature this time, and I'm going to go back to a mashup that I did back in, I think it was early 90s, and just like the song that we featured with Netureb and Cameo, Word Up, I did a mashup with Word Up and Janet Jackson. And this, remember, this was done in the early 90s on a four track cassette deck. So the sound quality's a little shaky, but it will do.
5: Break beat. Break beat. Break
0: There's some hearts and minds in there. We did. Technology. You know that might have been my role.
1: What year did she do
2: this? Probably early in the 90s, 90s. We might have to roll it at that time.
4: Sure.
0: Dude, that's some Nucleus coming in. We could do a whole nother podcast just on (laughs) Nucleus.
5: Can't
3: go wrong.
0: So that's going to lead me into my next uh, song that. I'm really big on this whole YouTube thing. We were talking earlier about the reaction videos, but I also love the mashups that are going on because it's definitely going back to everything that we talked about. So, the guy that I've been listening to the most is McClintock. And I'm going to get into that song right here because this is, for me, this has been the mashup of the year so far.
1: Yeah, and he's taken it to a level where he's taken the redundancy and he's put combining it to create something different.
7: Gets me down. <laughs> you got it tough. i seen the toughest around. And I know, baby, just how you feel. You got to roll with the punches and get to what's real. Can't you me I can't just see this thing
1: flawless. Waylon Jennings, yeah, just,
7: I the worst this guy
1: see. is super talented because he just comes up with combos that don't, I mean. seemingly would not make any sense and it, well it jump, works jump. like every time.
7: Might as well jump, go ahead and jump, jump. go ahead and jump.
1: I didn't know better. I think that uh, David Lee Roth is a country and western <laughs> singer. Especially with how, you know, his, his screaming.
0: Talk. Yeah, my advice is if you're into that type of stuff, then then YouTube that because he's got a lot of content. And like Dean was mentioning, it's just crazy mashups. And a couple of things to say about it, though. One, the technology is now here with the digital workstations, and you can quantize things and tempo match and talk about... There's also a website, something that we were into earlier in our DJ careers, for me later in the career, but mixing the correct keys of the songs, yeah, which you'd have to look at a chart, and I, I, it's called Camelot Music, and you see it on, I think it's Tunebat now. Is that you can click on a song, see what the BPM is and the key of the song, click on it and see what are compatible mixes, and that, I, that in my opinion, that's what McClintock is a genius at is combining those factors. And the Seamless, taking songs that you would never think would go, I would have never thought to take Waylon Jennings and Van Halen. Right. And it's everything about it is right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, and I'm, pretty much everything that he's done is kind of along those same lines. It's 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 two artists, or sometimes there's three artists that he yeah. throws together. And uh, not only does he put the music together, he also makes a video out of it. And he's mashing up the video. Yeah, that's footage. a whole nother level. So this, this guy is pretty talented. Uh, he's, you know, this, to again, this is kind of an extension of taking what has become really redundant musically and kind of making something new out of it just for creativity purposes. And it works pretty much every time he does it. So, yeah. cool. One more thing that I could
0: say about that, too, is that this, I, I know that I've mentioned this a number of times during the podcast. It could be a complete another segment, but it's what's going on with the DJ equipment. Uh right now, there's based on Apple's chipset, is they're just coming out with a thing called Neuromix Pro. And in episode number one with Terry Hildebrand, we went over stems and we put together the song that him and his uh bandmate David Booker had made and we took the individual sounds that Terry had produced. What this software does for the DJs now is that it'll break the song into three separate sections. You can break down the acapellas, the vocals, the drum tracks, the percussion, and then they call it like the melody track, um, usually the keyboards or guitar. And you can do that live while you're playing live. Now, just for us to get the stems back in the day was cool you know, whether it was acapellas, instrumentals, or dubs. Now that technology is emerging is that you could do it on the fly. So I would just want to imagine where we would be at if that's what was happening for us now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's really cool where the technology is driven and what impact it's having on the music, hence Bill McClintock.
1: Yeah, and that kind of stuff makes me happy. Um, you know, as obviously stated before, I like new stuff, and I like new creative ways of, of incorporating uh, different things into music. And on you know, the last uh, last uh, podcast, I said, you know, I'm waiting for the next big thing to come around. And, uh, you know, I don't know that this is it, but at least, you know, he's, he's doing something that hasn't been done before. And so that, that tickles my musical funny bone. DJ Dez, part two.
0: We got a couple we got another couple hours under our belt. Yeah, at least. I don't even know how long we've been on here. I think we're gonna slide out of here. All right. I'm gonna throw a curveball. I was thinking about Mussolini head kick, <laughs> but we might have to save that for another time. <laughs> so I think I'm gonna slide out of here with Thomas Dolby, science, as a tribute to what we've been talking about. <laughs> And not to you know make anybody jealous, but we also did see Parliament Funkadelic at Bumper Shoot one year.
1: Oh yeah, I forgot
0: about twenty minute that. intro <laughs> before George Clinton even hit the stage. <laughs> it was like butter. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was good times, man. Good times. I made a living at one twenty.
9: Thank you very much. I'm good.
5: Mm, mm, mm. Now that sounded good. Podcast segments, pulled and edited by
8: Nesworks. Brought to you by Nelcor Technologies. Technology to the T. Bringing you the content you desire, the content you
5: need. It's a doing dollar.
8: In Jesus' name
5: I pray. Amen.
1: I'm the type of guy that leaves my drawers in your hamper.
5: What? You sucker DJs who think you
1: fly I hear that. I'm the best rapper in the world. We're not jaded at all. Don't worry. In no way, shape, or form are we affiliated with Cube 93. We are Wall Jam Productions.
0: Welcome to the Square Cow Fun
1: Bar. Another great song I never want to hear again. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, nyeh, <laughs> nyeh,
0: Susie, come out on the floor. <laughs> this is five minutes of your life that you will never get back.
2: Uh-huh. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Mm, sprinkle some lemon on that chocolate. Yes. Papa, don't preach, Daddy. Whatever you say, Madonna. Grandma and Grandpa already left an hour ago. <laughs> You're an OG guy.
8: <laughs> yeah. Dig it. Nest pot digging. Clock is ticking. I...
0: It was like butter.
8: Nellie. You so crazy. I really had to play golf, baby.
0: Then I heard it at the strip club. Now I really love it.
2: Peace.